As Berto said, uh, my name is Peter, and I serve today as the, the, the lead pastor of our church. I serve in leadership alongside the elders and Alberto. And today is week seven, chapter six of our study in the book of Acts called People of the Way. Jesus declared, even as he verified that he is the way and the truth and the life. And if we are his people, we are people of the way as the first believers were called in the book of Acts before we were called Christians. And so what this means is that we, we come as people from different backgrounds, whether different ethnic backgrounds, as we'll see in chapter 6 with a tension that arises in the early church. But different backgrounds in so many different ways. But what's most necessary, what's most paramount about us as a people is not whether or not we have a common past, but whether or not we have a redeemed path in Jesus. Jesus covers our past and transforms our destiny. And we multiply together when we have university. When we have unity within our diversity. Jesus alone is able to Jesus alone, sorry, I'm still working with it. Can y'all hear me? Is able to transfer, there we go. Is able to transform us and unite us together. Only the blood of Jesus can cause us to have a greater blood that defines us and unites us. Amen? I'm going to ask that we stand to our feet to honor God's word. And today we are in Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. Now, in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists, or Greeks, arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of disciples and said, It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you Seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we may appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and the ministry of the word. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Prochorus, and Nicanor, and Timon, these are some great names, and Parmenas, and Nicolaus, the proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles, and they prayed, and they laid their hands on them. Verse 7, And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Y'all can be seated as we pray. Father, help us to open our hearts and our minds to witness what you're doing in the nations and what you're doing in our midst, what you've been doing for thousands of years. Help us to see and to savor what you have always promised and what you always deliver. And help us, cause us even, to devote ourselves to you in the midst of it all. 
Amen. Amen. Praise Jesus. Thank you again for being here. And thank you, Jesus, for this cool breeze that's coming upon me right now. Thank you, Lord. You know, I'm, I'm going to preach today a special sermon that takes us through Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to segue into an even more special announcement about the future of our church. As I consider Acts chapter 6 and what's happening in this story, in our passage, I am mystified. I'm mystified by how this paints the picture about what God is doing here in our church for such a time as this. So let's go back to verse 1. If you're taking notes in your Bible, that's awesome. Verse 1 says this. Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, let's stop there. Now this verse is going to go on to address uh, certain problems regarding ethnic tensions and clear discrimination. But don't brush over the first words of this verse 1. It says that they were increasing in number. Literally, the literal word means multiplying in number. And so this is a really good thing, not a bad thing. Make no mistake, often the problems that we see in the church that we encounter before our midst Often they're the result of the multiplied blessing of God. And they're not an indication of the lack of God's hand or blessing on the church. In fact, there are certain problems, certain challenges, certain tensions that come only as a result of God's special hand on his people. And if there were no increasing in number, if there were no supernatural coming together of people who don't belong together but by the grace of God, if this weren't happening, if there were no crucified and resurrected one, tearing down the walls of hostility and calling out regenerating a people for himself, a new community, there would be no such discomfort within that community. And so let's be careful that we see the blessing of God with all its challenges and that we don't curse God's blessing. Now don't get me wrong, in a sanctified community, there is room for self-criticism of us. There's room for correction, for growth. And we need to confront certain problems with reverence and fear of God. But it's, it's in a way that strengthens the body rather than disdaining the body for having the need for growth in the first place. Amen? So let's carry on with verse 1. Verse 1 ends like this. So there's this, this, this need that arises because of God's blessing and the, the multiplication of God's people and a complaint arose by the Hellenists against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. So what is the problem that this increase, that this supernatural growth of God leads to? Well, it's Inequity, not fairness. There is inequity of the, the, the Greek or Hellenistic, this is the ethno-linguistic Greeks, converts in the church, a complaint against the Hebrew majority because in their majority power, they're not being fair to those in the minority. There's ethnic tension in the church. 
This is the first century that we're talking about. But this is 2020 that we're talking about, is it not? I have to say as a pastor, it is deeply painful when I witness ethnic insensitivity in the church. It's painful. It's, it's especially painful when it's in me. It's painful, but let me further underline that if there were no movement of the kingdom of God in Acts, and if there were no movement of God in our church, then there would be no church ethnic strife. Because no one would be together in the church to have a problem with one another in the first place. There would be no such tension in the church because the division would remain in the culture at large, not coming near the church. Many of us who have been in this church for any amount of time, in some, one, in some ways need to thank God for the problems that we have the privilege of managing. In fact, we need to cherish the, the, the weighty gift that many saints in history have prayed for and never been able to experience. And maybe even we need to repent if we've ever disdained God for giving us this tension to manage. God help us. You know, before Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, before the mighty power of God as promised and as delivered to his people came upon his people, there was no such Greek and Hebrew togetherness. And likewise, in our nation, before the Pentecostal revivals of 1906 and beyond, largely emanating and erupting from an otherwise obscure black church in L.A., before that, there was no black and white coming together in the church in our nation, largely. And, and since then, look, the, the Pentecostal revivals of the 20th century had some weird stuff, but there were some great things that came out of it, and this is one of them. And God forbid that we would take for granted what he's doing and all the challenges to overcome in his people as we beautify the beautiful body of this crucified Jew risen to be our savior. It is a responsibility. It is a gift. So, nevertheless, even with this problem, there's a complaint, and it's a reasonable complaint. And it literally says, though, that, that, the, that they murmured about the issue. Some translations like ours say there's a complaint, but there was a, there was a murmuring. And by the way, murmuring about an issue is not the healthiest way to address it. But nevertheless, the 12, the apostles directly adjust to this issue and they make a solution. Verse 2, the 12 summoned the full number of disciples. This is thousands of believers, got them all together at once. And they said, let us not be distracted by this Hellenistic issue. Far be it for us, we must stick to the gospel. Actually, if you're reading in your Bibles, that's, I just made that up. That's not what they said. That's not how it went down. They didn't dismiss this issue as, you know, political or unimportant in that it dealt with racial or ethnic strife. There was no cop-out like that given like we sadly often see in our evangelical circles today. The gross discrimination in the church was not denied. It was just stated. If you read, look at your Bible. It's just stated as fact. 
It's not denied on one end, but listen, neither is it despaired over on the other end. As if the presence of this problem is cause for disillusionment in the church at large. No, it's, it's directly addressed soberly and seriously as a matter of first importance to the gospel. Not as if it were some sort of gospel side item, but it's directly addressed. Earlier in my marriage, which was uh, the early years of this church as well, I did a lot of traveling, uh, too much traveling, largely for evangelistic endeavors where I would go and help other every nation churches and campus ministries with evangelism and really just do what I like to do. And um, so I would be gone for days at a time, and then I'd come back, and I would be behind with church responsibilities. So I would spend days of just extra long days back home catching up, and this was kind of a rhythm for years. And the problem is, well, there's a lot of problems with that. The problem is, is I would catch up with church stuff without really catching up with stuff in the home. And so my wife, who had already been burdened with an extra burden in my absence, would be suffering the further imbalance of my catch-up at home. And I said, this is like a decade ago, guys. This is before I was a perfect husband, okay? My wife would bring to me the complaint, respectfully, directly, no murmuring. And, and as foolish as it was, I would try to dismiss the issue. And, and if I would admit it to myself, here's, here's how I went about it. I actually thought that if I don't acknowledge this issue straight on, then uh, maybe we just won't dwell on it, right? And it won't get worse. It will maybe just go away if I dismiss it. Does this sound a little too close to home like our cultural conversation today? If we just kind of dismiss the injustice of our past and present, maybe it will just magically disappear. No. See, in my home, my stubborn desire to just kind of wish the problem away is what made it set up camp in my home to stay and to fester. And only when addressing it head on, seriously and soberly, which has taken years and it's still, we're still in the process of it, only then have we been able to, to start to find an equitable rhythm in our home. That's fair. And so too with the church. When there's problems they are to be considered, not dismissed, not despaired over. But God, thank you for this opportunity to be more faithful to who you are and who your word calls us to be. In Acts 6, watch how this, this problem is carefully addressed. And, and it's amazing, the way it's handled, the priorities that are upheld in this is just majestic. Verse 2 finishes like this. It is not right that we should give up the preaching of the word to serve the tables. Now, if you consider what that means, you'll see that the tables are of huge importance in the context here. This word serve is literally the Greek word diakoneo. It's where we get our word deacon or servant leader. So, So the tables weren't lesser, but they were different. It was a distinct, different service or diaconate calling for deacons to be chosen for. And so this call was different 
The tables were different and they were important. And so they appointed their best men and put them to the task. Verse 3, therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, that we may appoint them to the duty. Now, good repute is translated those two words into English. There's one word in the original Greek. It's simply martyreo. Martyr, reo. So in other words, pick out from among you good and faithful martyrs, proper witnesses that can boldly testify even as they are embodying the person and the promise of Jesus Christ who died for us. See, this, this is an important job and it requires important men because the tables are important. And fitting witnesses today and then are men and women who will fulfill Jesus' promise of Acts 1-8 that the Holy Spirit would come upon us and that we would be witnesses, martyrs to all the nations. And these seven men allowed the church to focus their attention on the problem without compromising the priority of the Word of God. In other words, their attention to this new and distinct service didn't cause the church to shirk our responsibility to the undergirding responsibilities of the word of God. And this is important, y'all, because, church, we live in a day of seemingly unending false dichotomies. False dichotomies, meaning we create unnecessary either-ors in our politically uh, polarized cultural moment Where the Bible doesn't give an either or, we cannot pick one or the other. It must be both. Either you serve the tables and the poor and the oppressed, or you preach God's word. What? No, it's got to be both. Or how about this one? Either you respect our nation, or you correct it. No, wait, wait. I'm going to do both because I'm a patriot. Either, you guys are too quiet, help me out here. Either we are praying or we are addressing real life problems. You ever heard that one? No, the best way to address a real life problem is by praying, but not only by praying. See, these leaders hit the mark of the right tension, the the both and and not the either or. They didn't deny the problem and they addressed it, but they did it in a way that didn't cut their legs off of their foremost responsibility to the word of God and to prayer. The source of their ongoing multiplication, amen? Verse four, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Now check this out. This word ministry is also in its original, the, uh, the, the word diakonia, the same word used in verse two to, to talk about the serve to the tables, the service to the tables. So in this passage, we have two ministries, two services. We have, we have the table, and we have the word. We have the, the ministry to the poor and the word, and the ministry to the, 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 the prayer, to, to prayer and the word, and also to the poor at the table. Both are distinctly important. Both require a right balance of of addressing both at the same time. You can't dismiss one in order to uphold the other. And you can't accept the false dichotomy that it's either confront discrimination or uphold the truth, either care for the poor and oppressed 
or commit to God's word and prayer. No, it's both. And quite frankly, if we pick one, we will end up at, with, with neither in church history. See, the apostles chose this divine tension of doing both in right measure. And it was a huge win-win. And any of y'all who've ever led anything know the rarity of that ever-elusive win-win. Where it's like both sides are pleased and they win. They walk out of the negotiation with the winning hand. That is amazing. It's a miracle. They appoint and they devote to both diaconate callings, both ministries, both services. And and now this word devote is perhaps the most glorious part of the whole passage. The original word really just literally means adhere. So like super glue to a supernatural calling, I adhere, I attach myself to what God calls me to do and I obey with his power. King James probably translates it best into English. We will give ourselves continually to the, to the word and to prayer. See, in my experience in the last 12 years with elders and especially the last few years with this current elder team, they have really protected me and supported me that I might give myself to prayer and the word with my foremost of, the foremost of my time and then also that I might serve in other ways. And for any Christian leader, whether you're leading in the church or in the community or in business, there is nothing more important for you than praying and reading your Bible and devoting your life to God's word. And listen, make no mistake, plenty of exalted foolishness will try to convince you otherwise every day that something else is more important to your soul. Give yourself continually to prayer and the word and receive from the one who created you. Receive from the one who came to devote his life and his blood to redeem you on the cross. Devote. And so now check out the results of this divine solution to both services being upheld at once, the poor and the word. Verse five, it says, what they say, what they said pleased the whole gathering. Stop there. We're talking thousands of people. All of them are pleased by this. Now, time out. Let's review this. There's this ethnic striving. There's a reasonable complaint. People are angry, and they should be. There's murmuring. There's gossiping, probably. There's probably some people calling committee meetings to, you know, to vent about the problem. By the way, side note, be careful anytime you say you're venting that you might just be gossiping or slandering. But either way, it's ugly. It's not looking like it's going to end well. They call one meeting. They have one solution. And how many people are pleased by the solution? Everyone. All of them. I mean, this is a miracle. A special miracle. I mean, Jesus rose from the dead. That's the best one. 500 eyewitnesses verify that that really went down. He's still super duper not dead. That's important. What else is important like that? Nothing. That's a big deal. Uh, the parting of the Red Seas, that's, that's, cute. that's huge. This is like right behind that in my eyes. Everyone was pleased with the solution. In recent months and years, our elders have had to get together and encountered various tensions in the church, whether ethnic tensions or otherwise. 
And often for us to hear God and obey God and do what most pleases God, we often have to, in, in, in some measure, displease both sides of any issue. And sadly, seeing that both sides in the church is rare in the church. 90% of American churches are ethnically homogenous, meaning that 85% or more of the church is one ethnic group. And so in the rarity that God gives us a church that's not like that, we have this gift of seeing what God does in a setting like this. And God's done amazing things here, but this here in Acts 6 is special, where the whole gathering of an ethnically diverse church is pleased with the decision. God is at at work here. Verse 6, these seven men, they set before the apostles and they prayed and they laid their hands on them. Uh, This is a powerful moment of what we would call commissioning. And you see all over the book of Acts, when leaders are appointed or when people lay hands on people to, to receive the baptism with the Holy Spirit, to, to see God move in power, you see this laying on of hands. And we've seen this in our church and we'll continue to see more and more of this. This is important. And, and check out this last verse, verse 7. The word of God continued to increase. And the number of disciples multiplied greatly. So look at this. In verse 7, there's an additional descriptive given that wasn't there in verse 1 to to describe the church's growth before all of these problems. Think about that. Because of the conflict and resolution, they're better. They're better. And because of it, there's inside growth in the church. There's maturity and godliness within his people. See, they grew in number but the word of God also continued to increase within them. And also there was new expansive growth, growth from their gathering. Even says this, that a bunch of people that contextually that they weren't reaching before all of this, uber-religious priests, that they started reaching them as well. When we overcome the barriers within the church, God will use us to tear down walls outside of the church. When we can overcome barriers within us, within the church, God will distinctly use us to tear down walls that keep the the kingdom of God from infiltrating outside of the church. Make no mistake. And so what are the walls in our culture today? They are strong, and they are many. But that's not a question for you. That's a question for God. The question for you is, what are the the walls in your heart? As you look around the church today, and I invite you to do it even while I'm talking to you, what are the walls that maybe you have with others in particular or in general within God's church. Again, they're they're probably reasonable issues, stuff that God doesn't like too. Just like there's stuff in you that God doesn't like. But what if, what if God uses a revival inside of you to spark a supernatural revival outside of our church 
to bring others into the fold of Christ to reach the previously unreachable. One other takeaway. When we serve God the way we're specifically called to serve him in obedience, God causes growth. It's not our doing. It's not our growth. It's God's growth. But it is our obedience. It is our serving God. It is our steadfastness. It's a gift to serve him in difficulties like this. It's a gift. And the gift comes because Jesus first chose to serve us to enact all of this. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He left his eternal throne to fulfill a special service, a special ministry to die on the cross that we might have life so we could serve and love. Unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But when it dies, it bears much fruit. And so we receive his life. We take up our cross and we follow him and we serve him and we love him back because he first loved us and died on the cross. Here goes that segue into an even more important announcement about our church. As I stand before you right now, I'm about to officially announce the most significant news in the 12-year history of our church as it pertains to the direction and the congregational vision of our gathering. After years of prayer and planning and waiting on God, the day has finally come, October 4th, 2020, a day we've prepared for and dreamed about for a handful of years. In order to fulfill God's divine directive and calling, our church is under, undertaking a, a similar commissioning to what we see in Acts chapter 6, that we may devote ourselves to the specific thing that God has uniquely called us to, and that the word of God may continue to multiply. Except in our case, there's a, a sort of reversal of roles in order to ful- fulfill the specific task that God has called us to. Today, I'm announcing that I will be stepping down from my role as pastor of this church in order to, in essence, serve the tables. Whereas Alberto will be joining our elder team and stepping into the role of lead pastor to serve for the next 12 years and beyond. I just promised over a decade of your life. Praise the Lord. That's not my notes. Maybe that's prophetic. I'll let you sort that out. So let me explain why I say to serve the tables. In verse 5 of Acts chapter 6, one of the men mentioned is Philip. Philip served in this special moment, and Philip went on to serve as an evangelist before he died. And before I die, I'm called to do the same, to serve as a full-time evangelist that I've been longing for for years I'm going to be the first member of our national evangelism team and serve as the Southwest Regional Evangelist, largely serving our Every Nation campus chapters and breaking open new doors for new campus chapters and new churches. And in order to leave space for Alberto to lead, 
actually need to specifically leave the church as well. And I'll be serving in my evangelistic role out of the Mosaic Church in Austin. That's the bittersweet part of it. But let me underline why I'm so confident in Alberto's devotion to pastor and love this city. He has a unique gift for teaching that transports the, the, the anointed listener right there into Galilee, into Antioch, into Jerusalem to encounter the word of God. He has a vision for spiritual formation and discipleship and holy habits, ancient tradition and anointed faith. And like so few in our generation, he knows that in order to move forward, we have to go back and recapture some ancient virtue. He has been prepared for two years at least by our layers of our Every Nation family and Mosaic Church and our Every Nation Assessment Center. He's been vetted. Most importantly, he meets the requirements of the Bible. Not only the qualifications in verse 3, that he's full of the spirit and wisdom, but also 2 Timothy and Titus, the qualifications of an elder. The next two weeks are going to play out like this. Next week, Pastor Morgan Stevens from Mosaic Church is going to come down and help me to lay hands on Alberto and commission and ordain him as lead pastor of the church. And then the following week, the 18th, there will be a farewell service to me and our family. I want to ask, uh, I want to ask Thaddeus to come and, and Jess to come up and lay hands on Alberto and I. Pray for us. God, we are so grateful and so thankful for all the good that you've done in this church and specifically through Pastor Peter, how he's impacted my life and thousands of other lives, God. We pray for a supernatural blessing for him and his family, that they will continue to seek you with all their heart, Lord, all their soul, all their mind and their strength. They would love their neighbors as themselves, God. And as they hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord, they would know that you will fill them, Father. And we thank you for this time of transition. We're entering into a new season, God, and you have, you have blessed this time, and I believe this time will continue to be blessed with Alberto Lopez as the lead pastor of the Springs Church. We are so grateful and thankful for Peter is actually the one who helped to lead Alberto to Christ. And so this moment is a, a very special moment to look back and to look ahead and all the good that is to come. And we just thank you, God. You are so good. You are so faithful. You are so amazing. You go above and beyond anything that we can ever even ask for or hope for, Lord. And that's just who you are. We pray that you would bless them in this moment, in this time. And, um, we just love you. We ask all this in your son's mighty name. In the mighty name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.